You're in your Bibles, Jonah chapter number 1. Years ago, I heard it was either my wife or my mother-in-law, and I think it was my mother-in-law. I I don't want to tell on her here, but I think I, I am. And so they were referencing something, and they said every time there's a guest speaker, he preaches on Jonah. And when I heard that, and that was years ago, we're talking years ago. When I heard that, I said to myself, well, if I ever preach at First Baptist, I'm just going to make, I'm not going to, I'm not going to preach on Jonah. If everybody else preaches on Jonah, I'm not going to do it. And this is my second time to preach on Jonah here at the church, but it is a different message. And, um, it's something that God's given to me. It's a familiar message for me. It's new for the church, but I just know I had many, many messages I could preach. God kept bringing me back to this one. And, um, and there's something here uh, for you this morning. And so, uh, as you always do, please listen with your heart. Let's see what God has for us in the book of Jonah. Jonah is such a popular book to preach from because it's such an easy book to preach from. We see the, the story of this prophet that ran from God. And there are so many similarities to, to our lives and, and Jonah. It's remarkable. But we know that Jonah is, is known as the man that ran from God. And by the way, make no mistake about it, uh, Jonah absolutely was running from God. Some people would say that Jonah was running from Nineveh, and he was running from a place, but he was not running from Nineveh. I, I personally think Nineveh had very little to do with the story. Jonah was running from God. He says that in uh, uh, chapter number 1, in verse number 3, we see that Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He ran from God. He ran from the presence of God. Sometimes people think that they need a change of location. They think that they need a a geographical change. And the truth of the matter is, often, you and I do not need a change of location. We need a change of heart. And dealing with teenagers, I I hear all the time, if I can just get away from this church and get away from this family and get away from the Christian school and just go somewhere else and start fresh, the truth of the matter is, you can go wherever you want to go, you're bringing it yourself with you, and if you're not right with the Lord now, a change of location often does not do the job. And Jonah was running from God, and uh, God had given him a very clear command to go to Nineveh and to preach. That was the command. There was no gray area. Rise up. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, the Bible says in verse 2. Their wickedness has come up before me. And, And Jonah was given that clear command, and yet in light of a very specific command from God, Jonah ran from God. He went the other way. He, he, he went as far as he could go from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you out here, and even on the platform here, how many of you can identify and say, I know what it is to run from God. I know what it is when God is telling me to do something. For whatever reason, whatever reason, we all have our reasons, for whatever reason, we decide we're not going to do that. We're going to run from God. And Jonah did that. And he found himself on a ship. The Bible says uh, in verse number 3 that he ran from God and went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof and he went down into it. 
found himself on a ship headed to Tarshish, the opposite direction of the location where God had told him to go, Nineveh. So he gets into this ship, and, but, but watch this. We, we all know, right? We all know that, that you cannot run from God. How many, how many would agree, Brother Judah, you cannot run from God? Would you agree with that? Can't run from God. Jonah made such a foolish mistake thinking that he could find a place where God couldn't find him, but that wasn't true. Uh, God found him on that ship, and of course we know the story how, how Jonah uh, goes to sleep. And soon after he's sleeping... God sends something his way. Who, who, who knows the first thing that God sends Jonah's way? Who can raise their hand and tell me the very first thing that God sends Jonah's way? Uh-oh, we're struggling. Sunday morning, wake up, wake up, help me out. What does God send Jonah's way? Yes. Yes. And he sends him a storm. A storm. So, so Jonah's running from God, and God sends a storm to get his attention. Now, I've often said before, friends, there are two types of storms in the Bible. There are storms of perfection. Think about the disciples who got in a ship and they had done nothing wrong. They were as close to Jesus as they knew to be. And yet, uh, God sent a storm into their life. It was not a storm uh, to harm them. It was not a storm to correct them. It was a storm of perfection. It was designed to draw them closer to God a storm of perfection. There's a second type of storm in the Bible, and that's a storm of correction. A storm of correction. That's what Jonah was going through. A storm of correction. These are storms that are not necessary. You, you don't have to. You stay close to God and His will, you'll never experience a storm of correction. But Jonah decided to run from God, and so God did something to get his attention. I don't know about you, but, but I don't want a storm of correction in my life. I don't want to get to the place where I'm so uh, uh, far from God that he has to send something my way. Now, by the way, not every trial is a storm of correction, like I said. We make a great mistake. I almost preached on Job today. And, uh, uh, but we make a great mistake, like Job's friends, when we see somebody go through a trial and we, and we ask ourselves, Boy, I wonder, wonder what they did. That's what Job's friends did. Job's friends saw this great trial that Job was going through and they just assumed that he had done something wrong. But Job had done nothing wrong. This was a storm of, of perfection. So when you see somebody going through a storm of life, don't just assume that there's some sin there or something hidden there. That's not always the case, but it was the case for Jonah. God brought a storm. I heard a preacher say one time, I never forgot it, never forgot it. He said, when you and I ignore revelation, God can send a situation. Boy, that is true. You and I ignore the word of God. And just do our own thing, friends. God can send a situation, I mean, just like that, to get our attention. To turn us back to the right way. Which is exactly what God did with Jonah. God sends this storm. If you look at verse number 4, the Bible says, The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea. So that the ship was like to be broken. The mariners were afraid. These were... This was a ship. These were mariners, pro professional sailors who were used to the sea. The Bible says that this ship that was built to sail, the storm was so extreme that the ship 
was like to be broken. Did you see that? And the mariners, the Bible says, were afraid. They were afraid. So this was no ordinary storm. This was no small gust of wind. This was something sent by God to get the attention of everybody involved. The ship was about to break and the mariners were fearing for their lives. Matter of fact, they were so afraid they began to, to lighten the boat, the Bible says in verse number 5. And, but Jonah was fast asleep. So for sake of time, I'll just tell you the rest of the story. They finally wake Jonah up, and Jonah identifies himself as the problem. Look, if you would, I think it's verse number 12. Verse number 12. Jonah said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake, for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Watch this. I, I, I have this thought in mind when I read verse 12. This is the first time in the story that Jonah does the honorable thing. Jonah raises his hand and he says, he says, this storm, this is my fault. You see that in the scripture? This mess that we're in, this is my fault. And so if you'd get rid of me, the storm would go away. It's not the message, but I, I like to throw it in. You know what? What's honorable about this is the fact that Jonah takes personal responsibility. And we live in a day and age where, where people are making a mess out of their lives and it's everybody else's fault. It's everybody else's fault. You have teenagers that get out of church and they, they, they turn their back on uh, the way they were raised and the principles of the word of God and, and storms come into their lives and messes are made and, and instead of just owning it, they get online, it's everybody else's fault. It's the youth pastor's fault, it's church's fault, parents' fault, school's fault. But, but, but adults are the same way. And we ignore the Bible. We, we, we run from God and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a mess like Jonah was in. And instead of just saying, you know what? Kind of like Brother Quoto did. I, I, what song were we singing uh, about? about um, he paid a debt. Yeah. I, I, when I saw Brother Quoto did that, I thought, man, dude, I thought I, I wish I could do that in preaching. He just started saying the wrong verse. He went, back up. I wish, I wish, I wish every time I said something foolish, I can say, folks, back up. And, uh, but, but instead of just, instead of just saying, you know what, this is my fault right here. Instead of just doing that, adults blame everything else. People weren't fair and, you know, we all have our reasons. Jonah does the first honorable thing here when he, when he owns the situation. He says, this is my fault. So Jonah tells the mariners, now we're zeroing in on the message. Jonah tells the mariners, he says, I'll tell you what, if you pick me up and throw me overboard, this storm will go away. And the Bible says that the mariners, look what they, look what they said uh, in verse number 13. The Bible says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Here's, here's the thing, and this is very, very important for you to know. Picking Jonah up and throwing him overboard represented radical action. It represented some extreme action. To pick this 
this man up and to hurl him out of the boat, this was no small thing. As a matter of fact, to do that in the middle of such a storm, they thought that they would be killing Jonah. They thought that for sure the storm would take his life. We know that because when they finally do it, in verse number 14, the Bible says that they cry unto God and they say, lay not upon us innocent blood. And so, these mariners who are told to throw Jonah overboard, their first response is, no. We are not going to do that. We are not going to be that radical. We are not going to be that extreme. We are not going to take uh, that course of action. There has to be a better way. And so, they just decide to row harder. You know, uh, my friends, many times in my life, when, when I have not acted on the, on the command of God, my, my plan B is this, I'll just try a little more. Sure, there may be some things that I ought to get settled, and there may be some action that I need to take, and there may be some radical steps that the Lord is leading me in, but, but instead of doing that, I'll just row a little harder. I'll just, I'll just try a little more, and that's exactly what these men do. And the message is this, here's the message we got a few minutes to preach it, and I'll, I'll just give you really the concept. The message is simply this. Eventually, the mariners do throw him overboard. You know the story. Eventually, the waves are so pressing, and the, the situation is so disastrous, they've thrown everything else overboard, so they look at Jonah. I can only imagine the moment, you know, when they all look at him like, well, you're next. <laughs> and uh, They look at Jonah... And they throw him overboard. Eventually they do that. But what if they never would have? You see, when we preach on Jonah, we can preach about revival and the whale and the gourd and Nineveh and, and all of that. But, but I don't want to think about any of those things right now. I want us this morning to take a few moments and to focus on the mariners. The people in the story who appear in one chapter, handful of verses, but they're stuck in the middle of Jonah's mess. They're given one thing to do. Pick him up and throw him overboard. And, and they, they say the natural thing, which is, no, we don't want to do that. No, 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 no. We'll do anything but take this man's life. So they row harder, they row harder, but eventually they cast him overboard. And my thought for you this morning is, what if they would have stuck with plan A? What if they would have just decided, we're going to coexist with this problem? What if they would have just decided, instead of taking radical and extreme measures here, we don't want to look crazy. We're just, gonna, we're just going to keep Jonah in the boat. And guys, put your back into it and get those oars out and start rowing more. Certainly, we can row our way out of this storm. What do you think would have happened? They would have gone with plan A. I have my thought. I, I believe this, Brother Eddie. I believe that that storm that God sent wasn't going to go anywhere. I, I believe that that ship that was like to be broken in verse number 4, I believe that if they would have let Jonah remain in the boat, that ship would have broken. I believe they would have lost everything on that ship and maybe even their own lives. You say, Brother Judah, hang on a second. You really believe that those mariners could have drowned themselves? Absolutely. But they've done nothing wrong. You know, there's all kinds of collateral damage when one man decides to run from God. And I believe wholeheartedly. 
Secondly, look, at the least, they would have lost it all. But quite possibly, they would have drowned themselves. Now, you and I have the benefit of knowing the whole story. And we know, we know, that eventually they cast them overboard. And I believe this, I believe the moment Jonah's big toe touched the water. You say, how do you know it was his big toe? It's in the Greek. It's right there. I mean, talk to Brother Stoltmeister. He can show it to you. It's right there. It's in multiple commentaries. But the moment, the moment Jonah's big toe touches the water, it's, it's calm. The mariners row on. And Jonah starts to hear the heavenly choir. Dunna, dunna, The whale comes and on with the story. But what if they never would have thrown him overboard? The thought today is this. All of us have a Jonah in the boat from time to time. All of us. Every person in this room has something in the boat that doesn't belong there. Something in the boat that God would want us to get rid of. All of us have a Jonah in the boat And if we don't drown that Jonah, that Jonah will drown us. All of us have things that don't belong. All of us have things that should not. By the way, let me tell you something about Jonah. Let, Let me just fast forward the message and tell you something about Jonah. Jonah shows up where he doesn't belong. He invites himself in. He makes himself comfortable. And then he's hard to get rid of. And the truth of the matter is, when it comes to you and I and our lives, there are all sorts of Jonas that just invite themselves into our lives, that that show up where they don't belong, and that make themselves real comfortable with our lives, and they're hard to get rid of. And these are things that we have to identify, and things that if we don't take radical action, you know what, God give us a church, now you gotta, okay, listen, you've gotta excuse me, I've been preaching camps and conferences and teens all summer long, and I realize it's Sunday morning, and I was always taught that Sunday morning is a pat on the back, Sunday night is a kick in the seat of the pants, but I was also taught every now and then you reverse them, alright, and so, and so we're gonna reverse it right now, we're just gonna reverse, all of us have things in our lives, that do not belong, that we just make the the conscious decision, I know this is wrong, and it doesn't fit, but we're going to leave it here, and we'll just try a little harder. The truth of the matter is, friend, if you and I, and nobody wants to be radical. Nobody wants to take extreme measure. You know, I'm I'm a little little bothered by the fact that, that the world, in such a godless way, will be radical about everything that they believe. And I was driving out of my house, and, uh, or out of my driveway, would have been interesting if it was out of my house, but I was, I was driving out of my driveway a few weeks ago, and right there, right there on the corner of my neighborhood, I mean, was a parade gathered, and people had their signs, and, and talking about their godless opinion, and honk if you believe in this, and, and it, was, it was clearly wrong, and, but the world doesn't mind being radical. It's the Christian who never wants to appear to be extreme. The Christian who always wants to just play it safe. It's the Christian who is constantly silent. And we wonder why. We wonder why America's in such a mess. And, and I'm going to tell you why. It's not the world's fault. It's our fault. It's our fault. And it starts when you and I allow things in our lives. We don't deal with them. And all of us have a Jonah in the boat, and if we don't, and if we don't drown that Jonah, that Jonah's going to drown us. I'm going to give you a handful of Jonahs that we need to deal with, 
And then we're going to be done this morning. Number one, I think of the Jonah of rebellion. Let me ask you a question, church. Why didn't Jonah go to Nineveh? What is the reason? Now you can read a hundred men and get a hundred different reasons, but, but here's what we know. The act of not going to Nineveh, that was pure rebellion on Jonah's part. He absolutely knew what God wanted him to do, and he refused to do it. And, and listen, rebellion is when you and I, when you and I operate contrary to revealed truth. Rebellion is when something is very clear, something has been preached that is very clear. The Holy Spirit's moving in our heart in a very clear way. Something is black and white in the Bible, and you know it, and I know it, and we're convinced of it, yet we choose to just carry on as it's always been. Let me tell you, my friend, that is rebellion. Let me tell you something about rebellion. The Bible says that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And, and when you and I do not deal with rebellion, hey, if we don't take radical action and drown the rebellion in our lives, that rebellion will drown us someday. And I've seen it, and you've seen it. People just live in rebellion, and they just live. And then someday, uh, the storms of life overtake them. And, and rebellion, the refusal to obey to resist, to, to reject authority, specifically the authority of the Word of God. When you and I just know that it's in the Bible, we refuse to do it. Hey, can I, can I meddle? You say, Brother Judah, you're already meddling. Well, let's just meddle. Let's just do it. Let's just meddle. When was the first time you heard about soul winning? Now, I don't know, Brother Eddie, we're, we're, this is a, an evangelistic church. We believe in soul winning. We believe in, in uh, I just noticed every time I come over here, there's nothing there. So we believe in soul winning. We believe in, in witnessing, passing out tracts. Man, we hear about it all the time. And there are, there are folks in this room, and you know, you absolutely know, you ought to have a pocket full of tracts. You ought to be a witness at work. You ought to try to share the gospel. You ought to, but we refuse to do it. We just refuse to do it. We live in a world of lost people. We have the answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we, we excuse away our refusal to be soul winners. And here's what we do. Well, well, I'm not going to be a soul winner, but I'm going to try a lot harder. I'll read my Bible more and I'll pray more and I'm going to give a little more. And that's great. I think that's wonderful. But what about the Great Commission? See, and that's just one area. That's just one area. Re rebellion is when we refuse to do what we know God wants us to do. And, and all of us deal with rebellion. I deal with it. You deal with it. And if we don't drown the rebellion in our lives, I, I want to bring to you that one day that rebellion will drown us. I can remember the very first, and I've told the story before. I love telling the story. The very first time I was in a Sunday evening service. Just a teenager, 14 years old. I was in a Sunday evening service and uh, brought a friend with me named Joe. Joe loved rock music, all the classic bands, all the old school, you know, the Brother Eddie stuff. No, but he, he loved that stuff. And all the, you know, he just, he, he loved it. And the, and the youth pastor preached and he preached against rock music and he went through all of it. 
You guys remember the old school messages, man. He's, he's, he's playing tapes backwards, and we're hearing demon voices, and all of it, man. He was going, he was going after it. And with each band that he named, and each song that he named, and each, I was sitting there laughing and loving it, because I hated rock music, and Joe loved rock music, and I was sitting there, Brother Quosos, thinking, man, he is really getting it right now. Service was over. Boldly, new Christian. Walked up to the youth pastor, shook his hand, said, that was great. Joe loves rock music. I said, I'm good. I like rap music. And I walked away. You know, the very next Sunday night, the very next Sunday night, he stood up there and the Lord led him to compile a list of rap music and artists. And he mispronounced all their names, but I knew what he was talking about. And, uh, And watch this, watch this. In that moment, I was faced with a decision. Am I going to live in rebellion? Or am I going to give in to what God is saying? See, so it doesn't take long, my friend, for you and I to understand what the Bible wants us to do. Didn't take long. There's no debate about what Jonah needed to do. Jonah knew he needed to go to Nineveh, yet he excused it away, and he lived in rebellion. And, and you and I often do the same thing. We just put a Christian facade on it, and we just dress up and polish up a little better when the truth of the matter is there are things in our lives that God has convinced us we need to act on and get extreme with, and we refuse to do it. And if we don't drown those those Jonas. Those Jonas will drown us. The Jonah of rebellion. Let me, let me, how about this one? How about this one? The Jonah of apathy. Why didn't Jonah go to Nineveh? I, I believe, well, maybe he just didn't care. Maybe he was just apathetic. You know what apathy is, right? It's that loss of urgency. It's that, it's that uh, laid back. Oftentimes when I preach to teens, I'll tell the story of one of our teenagers years ago. I love telling the story. I love this young man. But he had a phrase. The phrase drove me crazy. And I love this young man. And if he's here today or listening, he knows who he is. And he can apologize afterwards. But he, uh, he had this phrase. And his phrase was this. I would get all fired up about something. I'd get all fired up. I like to get fired up. I get fired up about soul winning marathon or next activity or camp or and I'd be, you know, we're gonna do this and I'd get all fired up. And this young person inevitably would come up to me and he'd say, Brother Judah, chill, bruh. <laughs> chill, bruh. And it irritated me. Because there's nothing chill about me. <laughs> and the fact that he was so lazy, he couldn't even say brother, it was bruh. It just, it just drove me nuts. Chill, bruh. Brother Judah, I'm going to be there. Chill, bruh. Oh, man, I just wanted to, mm, but we don't do that in 2022. And so, I just, in my mind, in my mind. But, uh, sign that release form. I got a game for you. It can't. But uh, regardless, I, I, I had that thought. I mean, and chill, bruh. Now, let me tell you something. You and I, You and I live in a constant state of apathy. A constant state where God would want us to be urgent, where God would want us to act, where God would want us to get involved, where God would want us to to do something. Now here's the word, but doers. And yet we, we allow ourselves to have no movement. 
Just chill, bro. Just chill. Having a missions conference, chill, bro. Having a youth cup, chill, bro. And, and maybe that was Jonah's attitude. Maybe Jonah, maybe God, hey, think about it, friends, think about it. Maybe God looks at Jonah and he says, Jonah, arise. Right now, man, get up right now. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry against it. Their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah, they're running out of time. They need to hear the message. Jonah, get up and arise and go and do it now. And maybe Jonah just said, man, chill. We'll get to it when we get to it. Apathy. Hey, I almost called you teenagers. Friends, (laughs) apathy. That, that, That lack of passion or emotion. Man, we, we see a missionary video and we, and we, uh, we, we pastor or go through 10 or 11 missionary slides and we hear all this concern and then we'll say, all right, all right, now, now we're going to pray. And I know what pastor would want, but you know what? It's not even about the pastor. I know what the Lord would want. He would want the church family to, to find a place and to pray passionately and fervently and to remember those missionaries. And yet we go through service after service. Hey, watch this, watch this. Man, this is a long prayer time. This one's lasted six or seven minutes. And apathy. Let me tell you something about apathy. It doesn't belong in your life. Uh, Romans 13, that now, knowing the time, it is high time to awake out of sleep. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us cast off the works of darkness. Do you hear the urgency there? Do, do you hear the passion of the word of God that right now it's time to act? I love missionary, missionary Rick Martin's life first where he said, I, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And my friends, we are here and we ought to be passionate and urgent in the things that God has given us to do. And yet we're apathetic. Just there'll be another service, there'll be another week, there'll be another altar call, there'll be another invitation, there'll be another... And my friend, we better drown that attitude. If we don't drown that Jonah, that Jonah will drown us. Will drown us. The Jonah of rebellion, the Jonah of apathy, the lack of interest, lack of emotion. What, What would happen in this church if every single person occupying occupying a seat right now just, just dream with me. Can we dream for a moment? What would happen in this church if every single person got a heart for the lost? What would happen if every person in this church, and I'm even going to, I'll qualify it like this. Every person that knows how to win a soul to Christ already, you don't need to be taught a thing. You know how to win a soul to Christ. What would happen if every member here said, you know what? I'm going to walk out of this church. I'm walking into Nineveh. And there's, there's, there's a lost world. And they are wicked and they are godless and they need Jesus. And watch this. I'm not just going to make it pastor's responsibility, but I'm going to go find somebody. What would happen to this church if, if those of you who know, man, I, I'm meddling here. This might be my last Sunday morning ever. But what would if those of you who know how to win somebody to Christ took that as a personal mission, what would this church look like in three weeks? And let me tell you why three weeks from today, 
The odds are great that it'll look the same. Apathy. Not a person in this room that will argue the Great Commission. I mean, we, I don't think there's a person, but, but apathy. Lack of interest or emotion. There is nothing that stirs the heart of God more than lost people getting saved. Nothing. Nothing. And yet we carry on as, as we were, never allowing ourselves to be stirred. I, I need to move on and, and hustle. We'll be done in a couple minutes. But these Jonahs, the Jonah of rebellion, the Jonah of apathy. How about this one? How about the Jonah of fear? I think it is very likely that Jonah was simply afraid to go to Nineveh. Now you read up on Nineveh and you you do your study on Nineveh. These were people not to be trifled with. These were barbarians. These were warrior-like people. These were people who their first option, if you said something they didn't want to hear, their, their first option was to just kill you. To cut your head off, stick it on a stake, put it outside of the city. <laughs> that's what they did. I mean, that's, that's noted. They, they were so intimidating that they would often conquer a region and they would, they would take the, the bodies of the people that they had conquered and they would line the streets of Nineveh with those bodies so that everybody going into Nineveh would know, don't mess with us. Now maybe... Maybe when, when God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, maybe Jonah said, man, I'll do anything else. But not Nineveh. Maybe he had a little bit of fear in his heart. Has God ever told you to do something you're afraid? Has God ever, has God ever impressed something on your heart to do, and it was specific, and you sat back and you said, man, I'm afraid to do that. I don't know if I can do that. Let me tell you something, my friend. God has not given us the spirit of fear. And if you have some fear in your heart, uh, some refusal to act, you better drown that fear before that fear drowns you. Fear will leave you paralyzed and crippled and stagnant. That's what fear does in the life of a Christian. We've heard it a million times, fear is the enemy of faith, and it absolutely is. So God speaks to our heart. And we say to ourselves, man, we're, we're going to start giving a little bit to the Lord. Oh, but what about the economy, and what about... You know, inflation, and what about, hey, you better drown that Jonah. That Jonah's going to drown you. Had a young man, and this happens every summer. This happens every summer. Had one of our young men, actually from the college, one of our young men, and I won't give you his name, but he happened to be at a camp Monday or Tuesday where I was preaching in California, and he's a wonderful college student, and he came to me afterwards. He stood up there in the invitation being called to preach, so he's not even a teenager. He's there as a chaperone, as a college student, and he stood up during the invitation, called to preach, and when I saw it, Brother Mitchell, I thought to myself, I wonder if he misunderstood the invitation and uh, kind of moved on, but once people kind of filtered out, he stayed right there, and he wanted to talk to me, and, and he came, and he said, Brother Judah, he said, God called me to preach tonight, and I said, man, that is awesome. I kind of thought and assumed that God had already called him to preach. He's a great young man in Bible college, but I didn't know, and he said, God called me to preach. I said, that is great. This is what he said. He said, I've been fighting it for a long time. Didn't think I could do it. Too afraid. Didn't feel worthy. Just, I'm not good at... And I looked at this young man, and I, and I said multiple things. I said, number one, none of us are worthy. None of, nobody's worthy to preach the word of God. None of us are worthy. And I looked at it, and I said, number two, I felt the exact same way you felt. 
And I was called to preach. I thought there's no way I could do it. And that, that gripping, paralyzing fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is something that we need to drown before it drowns us. The Jonah's in our lives. You ever think about this? The Jonah of pride. Maybe, maybe Jonah looked at Nineveh and he said, you know what? I'm better than they are. I'm not going to go there. And maybe Jonah just had a, a deep sense of pride. Let me tell you something about pride, my friends. God's not within a million miles of your pride. There's one thing that the Lord will not share, and that is his glory. And, and you and I, it is so, it's such a hidden sin. It's, such a, it's not a surface sin. It's not easily detected. But we become so full of ourselves and so full of pride, thinking that we deserve more and thinking that we're better than other people. I remember years ago, I was soul winning in West Virginia, and I've not told this story in years, but I was soul winning in West Virginia, and knocked on the door, had a young man with me, and um, it was his turn to talk, and when this lady opened the door of her little apartment there, she opened the door, and it was, it was just, you, you could smell. I mean, it, was, it just hit you. She didn't even open our door. She said, come in, and we opened the door. She was sitting on a chair. And her apartment looked like she had not left that chair in, in a long time. Stuff all over the place, just, just nasty. It was nasty. Dirty. The smell was overwhelming. My partner began talking to this lady, and he kind of walked into the threshold of the apartment, and he, and he began talking to her. And, and when he did, I took a big step back and just <laughs> let him do that, you know. He was talking to her, and he said... He said, uh, when he got down to the plan of salvation, he asked, would you like to be saved? She said, yes. She had oxygen. She was on this chair. She said, yes. And my partner said, well, I'm not really good at that, but Brother Judah can show you how to be saved. And so I walked into this apartment, and it was just, it's just hidden me. And I, I you know, and I, and I began showing her the Bible. And she said, I can't see it can't see it. I said, well, okay. And I got down a little lower. She said, I can't see it. I said, okay. And I got on my knees in this apartment. I'm showing this lady how to be saved. And I'm on my knees showing her the plan of salvation. And there's animals running around. There's, she, had, she, had, she had newspaper on the ground. Newspaper. A little newspaper. The things are popping up. I don't know. To this day, I don't know what's underneath that newspaper. And I had this thought. Man, I've, I've got to get out of here. Then I had this thought. This is exactly where Jesus would be if he were in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And who are we to think that we're better than anyone else? Maybe Jonah looked at Nineveh and he just saw their wickedness and he said, you know what? I'm better than they are. Friends, we are not better than anybody else. This church isn't better than any other church. I mean, you're not a better Christian than anybody else in the room. And the moment we start to think like that, it, it keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do. That, that Jonah of pride. We compare ourselves among ourselves and we get into that game and you better drown that Jonah. That Jonah will drown you someday. The Jonah of apathy, the Jonah of pride, the Jonah of rebellion, the Jonah of fear. 
Done in two minutes. How about this? The Jonah of bitterness. See, some would say that some would say that Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. Some would say that he, he looked at them and he saw them as an enemy. Knowing that one day they would overtake his people. And so when God was giving them a chance to get saved, maybe Jonah just hated them so much. He decided, no, no, we'll just let the judgment of God fall on them. And bitterness to, and let me tell you something about bitterness, my friend. You better drown that Jonah in your life. That Jonah is going to drown you. This world is full of people who are bitter, who are angry, who are hurt. And by the way, some for good reason. They, they've been lied to, they've been treated unfairly, they've had something happen to them, and, and they've taken an offense, and life, life has you know, done them wrong, and so they, they live in bitter hatred. You talk to them 10 years later, 15 years later, they still want to talk about that event from however long ago. It, it dominates them and rule. My pastor in West Virginia used to say it's like a record that just keeps on playing. You know, remember the old records and, and it would skip and it just keep on playing the same thing. There, there are people who have bitter feelings towards family or whatever, and, and every it's just a record that just keeps on playing over and over and over again. And they never do drown the bitterness. And I'm here to say. You better drown that Jonah bitterness. That, that bitterness will drown you. Bitterness will drown you. The last Jonah that I have written down is the Jonah of delay. The Jonah of delay. <laughs> kind of goes with apathy, but it's a little different. Maybe Jonah had every intention to do right, but he was just going to take a little trip first. I, I don't know. I preach to teenagers, I often say this, and I think if it's good for a teenager, it's good for us. Satan's favorite word is tomorrow. Some of us are convinced of truths from the word of God and we say, we'll do it later, we'll do it tomorrow. Today, we'll just row a little harder and try a little more. Tomorrow is when we'll act on it. Maybe he was just delaying what he knew he should have done. You better drown that spirit of delay before it drowns you. You ever notice in verse number 5, the mariners were afraid to cry every man unto his own God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. You ever get that mental picture of these professional mariners grabbing everything that wasn't tied down and throwing it overboard? You know what I have found in my life? We'll throw everything else away if it means we can hang on to the Jonah. I've seen young people and I've seen church families. I, I've seen people. I've done it myself. I've, I've thrown away meaningful things just to hang on to a Jonah. I've thrown away relationships with people that never should have been thrown away, but I, I had an offense and I wasn't willing to get rid of it. And you throw everything else away. I've seen young people throw away mom and dad, throw away a good church, and throw away a godly upbringing because they wouldn't deal with the Jonah. Husbands and wives that, that get upset with each other. And maybe there's a legitimate offense. But instead of dealing with the Jonah and acting on it, they throw a relationship away. These mariners threw everything away. Just trying to keep that which didn't belong. You and I are guilty of the same thing all the time. Throw away a relation with our... You know, it's funny. Sometimes, sometimes, you know... 
pastor will he'll allude in a sermon. He'll say, he'll say, you know, I got an email the other day on this and this. and I think you you can email email them go go crazy. But sometimes you know we'll hear something in a sermon that we didn't like and we just think it was wrong. One thing, one thing. We let that thing sit in our heart. Come on now, sits there and it just it just and we live with it and we just row and row and row instead of dealing with it. And the next thing you know, you've thrown away. A relationship with your pastor. Thrown it away to hang on to that Jonah. It, it happens all the time. And I'm just here to say, there are some Jonahs. We better drown the Jonah before the Jonah drowns us. I was dealing with a young man once, and years ago. He's a good young man. Probably the most, con- most radical conversion story I could tell, and I won't tell it right now, but... Just the most radical conversion I'd ever seen. This young man got saved and surrendered his life to serve the Lord and served the Lord for three years in our youth group very, 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 very faithfully. <clears throat> Went off to Bible college. and When he came back the first break, whatever that is there, Thanksgiving, tell immediately that he was just not the same young man. Wasn't the same young man. Didn't say anything about it. Went back off to Bible college, came back at Christmas, I think it was Christmas, and when he came back at Christmas, man, he was missing services and missing Sunday school, and that, that was so unlike him. And I even pulled him aside, and I said, I said, hey, and I called his name. I'll call him Tommy. It's not his name, but I'll call him Tommy. I said, Tommy, what is it, man? He said, oh, nothing. I said, no, I said, it is something. He said, no. He said, well, Brother Judah, and this is what he says, what he said. You know, he said, I graduated, and my parents gave me a phone to go to Bible college with. He said, now on that phone, I've been listening to some of the old stuff and looking at some stuff. And Man, I just, I don't know. And he stopped right away, and he said, but I'm going, he said, would you be my accountability partner, Brother Judah? Would you, would you help me? Would you? And I said, absolutely, I'll be your accountability partner. So we set up times every Monday to talk, and he, he, uh, it worked for a while, and then soon he wasn't returning the call, and many weeks went by, there was no accountability, and spring break came around, and when spring break came around, he was back, and just as hard as could be. He, he had the look like he had before he ever even got saved. Just apathetic, just, just a brick wall, where at once his heart burned for God, it was gone. I said, come on, man, what is it? Matter of fact, we took such radical action. I got him one day, put him in my car, and he didn't even know. And when you get kidnapped by Abdel Kareem Aisha Judah, that could be scary. And uh, I put him in my car, and off we went. We drove 50 miles to the camp where his life was radically changed. Soon as we turned down the road, Brother Eddie, he started bawling. He knew where we were going. We got out of the car, and I walked him into the tabernacle. It was off-season of camp. Nobody was there. And I pointed to the very piece of ground where he committed his life to Christ. And I said, was that real? Was that real? Man, he's just, he's just, yes. Yeah. So I said, so come on, man, get with it. Went back to Bible college, came back for the summer. He came back for the summer. He didn't even come to church. We dragged him into a meeting with me and the preacher. Said, what's the problem? And for whatever reason, he decided to talk, and he pulled out his phone. 
He told us all the issues that he was having. and Then he said, but that's not it. He said, I met somebody on the way home, the airport, Midway Airport. I met somebody. She lives, and he called the town where she lived, and it was just like devil, just like the Satan to, to set somebody up nice and close. He said, we've been texting, we've been going back and forth, and we've been making plans. And he said, man, I just need some help. I just need some help. The preacher said, we believe in you. We know you're sincere, and we know, and by the way, if ever a man was sincere, he's sincere. And this is what he said to this young man, this teenager. He said, just give me the phone. He said, give me the phone, and we'll give you a job here at the church. You can intern, you can cut the grass, you can shadow over the Judah. You can just, we'll, we'll pay your next month's school bill, and just give me the phone, and we'll, we'll, we'll. I saw this young man stand up took his phone. He went to go hand it to the preacher and literally, I mean, I saw that he went to go and he pulled it away. And he went shaking and pulled it away. And he composed himself and he said, ah. he said, I need it for work and I need it for, but I'm going to do better and I'm going to. It wasn't even two weeks that young man met up with that young lady. You talk about a storm and over a decade of storms. Friends, listen to me. There are some things in life we just need to drown before they drown us. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? You listen so well.